Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. This is going to be another short episode, I feel, in part because, uh, much like you last week, I picked something that doesn't have a lot to work with. And the, the other reason is because I was looking into the stuff that I could work with and I found out, oh, it's been done already. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. this week, my attempt, my attempted subject matter is going to be the computer game Impossible Creatures. Okay. Which, as I mentioned last time, is another real-time strategy game. Yeah. It was developed by Relic Entertainment, who also created Homeworld, which is a very, very famous, like, sci-fi uh, RTS game. Okay. Uh, but in Impossible Creatures, uh, there is, it's a set in 1937. With a steampunk aesthetic, you're, you uh, you pilot a flying base that just a, a train with big propellers on the sides, like a steam engine. Okay. And the premise is that you play uh, intrepid reporter Rex Chance, who's teamed up with the scientist Lucy Willing to avenge his late father, Eric Chanikov. And he finds out that his father was working on something called the Sigma technology, which can create hybrid, te- hybrid creatures from the DNA of any two animals. And this has been, this technology has been seized by the sinister Upton Julius and his minions, who are going to try and take over the world with these biological mashups. Alright then. If you look up the cover of the game, it <laughs> is just a big lobster with a tiger head. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, tiger on a, on a crab or something. Wait, no, I think that's a scorpion. You got a stinger. Yeah, that's a scorpion. Yeah, that is one of the things you can make. So uh, one thing that w- happens very quickly, so one thing you realize very quickly, is that this entire game is going to violate the square cube law, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Technically, you can combine the DNA of a spider and a slightly different spider to just make a man-sized spider, and I'm not going to think about that too much. Yeah, this is Lego genetics at its core. Yes. Aha, speaking of Lego. <laughs> so uh, thinking, back to <laughs> thinking back to last week. Yes. We talked about how Rock Raiders was an RTS, but we didn't really talk about what an RTS is. An RTS yes. is a real-time strategy game, the idea being that you have some units and you use the units to construct buildings, and the buildings make more units, and some of the units are designed for harvesting resources, and some of the units are designed for exploring and combating the enemy. Yes. And you very much strayed away from the RTS elements of Rock Raiders, which makes sense, because mm-hmm. I feel like... When they originally made the Rock Raiders video game, the PC one, they went to RTS because they were like, ah, Lego is building things. Yes. Whereas you made a game that is more fitting with the setting and the story, mm-hmm. and it had RTS elements instead of an RTS with the elements of other stuff. Yes. Now, for Impossible Creatures, I want to stick close to making it an RTS. Uh, but the interesting thing about Impossible Creatures is that it doesn't follow the normal RTS, like, gameplay uh, ramp, I guess, is the best term. the Or gameplay progression, I guess. Okay. Uh, the idea behind a normal RTS is you start with very, very basic units. And, like, for example, let's use Warcraft. Uh, specifically yeah. Warcraft 3, because that was the first RTS I ever played. It's made by the same people who made StarCraft, obviously. If you want to think of StarCraft, think of StarCraft. Anyways, in Warcraft, the base, most basic, basic faction is the humans. And so when you're humans, you start with, like, some peasants and a castle and some knights. And the, yeah. you can use the peasants to build a barracks, and the barracks makes more knights. So you can also use the peasants to mine for gold and harvest lumber, so you can make more buildings and make more units. And they can also build the like the, the buildings that increase your arbitrary headcount limit, so you can have more li- units 
as well. Yeah. And then eventually you build a building and certain buildings that research new advancements so that you can upgrade buildings, you can research new uh, tr- advancements, new special powers for units, and you have a growth like that. Yeah. Impossible Creatures. It does have research, but instead of unlocking specific units, it just, like, all the abilities and all the animals are at, like, locked at a certain level, and it unlocks them as you go up. So it's, like, even animals that you're not using in a game, if mm-hmm. it has a level 3 ability, at a certain point you just research and unlock g- generic all the level 3 abilities. Yeah. And the reason they have to do it like this is because... You could theoretically have no two games of Impossible Creatures that use the same units. Okay. In the campaign, you go through the story maps and you have to use Rex. Rex is the only, like, oh no, I guess he's not the only human you control. It's like Rex and then some natives. And I do mean natives because this, like, takes place in a fictional archipelago in South America. And it's, like, not great. It's loosely inspired by the island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not great. Mm -hmm. But the main main human you're using is Rex Chance. And so while your other humans are harvesting resources, you got to get Rex Chance to go out and shoot a trank dart at an animal. And through the power of gameplay, as soon as you tranquilize an animal, you have access to its DNA. Yeah. Uh, But that's the thing is that like, You'll have different sets if you can't find certain animals or you just don't go after certain animals, you'll have different DNA sets each level. And then multiplayer, where just right from the start, you have every animal unlocked, but you have to pick which animals you're going to be using before the game even begins. Yeah. It's just, sure, sure, you might find some mainstays based on the combinations you like, but ultimately it could be very, very different for each game. Yeah. And so that's why the progression of Impossible Creatures is very different from the other ones. But I like that. I think it's interesting. And also that means that from a certain level, it does encourage you to make fucked up little freaks. And I think that is a core gameplay element that needs to be retained in Mm -hmm. my Impossible Creatures reboot. Yes. Is the making of fucked up little freaks. Yes. You need to be able to... (laughs) I was watching some mods and there's like, you can take a centipede and give it the legs of a gazelle... But it's only four out of its hundred legs are gazelle legs. Oh no. <laughs> but it does still make a man-sized centipede. And it just like skitters really quickly. And that's the main reason that the, like, cause the voiceover guy's like, yeah, you give this thing the gazelle legs and it goes really fast and it can do a lunge attack. So just don't picture it. But other, if you don't want to picture it, don't picture it. But also if you're, if you're capable of it, I want you to picture a horse-sized centipede scuttling at you and then jumping. Yeah. Um, other other biologically improbable situations that arise in the game is the fact that animals like chameleon and anteater are considered ranged because they got them big tongues. Okay. Also, porcupines will fully launch their quills at things, like, from several yards away. Which doesn't happen in real life. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so, the, yeah, the game, the campaign of the original game, you go through... Like, 15 missions, you fight the various, like, mini-bosses, and at the end you finally face Upton Julius. And over the course of this game, you also, like, Rex reveals that he also has multiple powers, like, a poisonous touch, or, like, he can control the animals that are created with the Sigma technology without having to use, like, the the resonator device or whatever, the radio frequency. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we discover that Rex himself was a product of Sigma technology. Ooh! Ooh. 
and it's left on a cliffhanger that was never resolved because the game was a critical darling that sold like garbage. Yeah. Um, did Relic go back to create another homeworld? Yes, they did create homeworld 2 after Impossible Creatures, because otherwise they probably would have had to declare bankruptcy. But also, it's a computer company from 2003, so you know at this point either they declared bankruptcy or were absorbed by Microsoft. They're now a subsidiary of Sega Europe. Yeah. Um... Although, th- that leads me into the other fun fact. To, uh, well, if you, there's several fun facts about the development of this game. First off is that um, on November 12th, 2015, Impossible Creatures was released on Steam as Impossible Creatures Steam Edition by THQ Nordic. Relic Entertainment and Sega relinquished the rights of Impossible Creatures to THQ Nordic after it was revealed that neither THQ nor Microsoft Studios owned the rights to the video game. Oh! So they just said, we're not going to do anything, so here you go. Oh, uh, okay. That's an interesting development. The the other interesting development is that the game's engine would later be used as a basis for creating uh, Dawn of War, which is the Warhammer 40k real-time strategy game, and usually lauded as the single most successful Warhammer 40k video game ever. Huh. I guess, yeah, they had a good engine, I guess. The third thing is that, okay, so... T- tell me some things, just off the cuff, what are some things that you think people should add, or that we should add to the game to make it a viable reboot? Um, are they just stuck on an island, or can they go elsewhere? It's a variety of islands. There's okay. like five forest islands, five savannah islands, and five jungle islands, or something like that. Okay, probably a couple more environments, like an arctic environment, um, volcano environment. Boreal forest environment, I think would be cool. I'm assuming they had a pretty good range of animals, but like, I don't know, can always expand. <laughs> There's more things out there. Did you say more animals and fixing the balancing issues? Yeah, yeah. Well, good news. There is a thriving, well, I think there's a thriving, at some point there was a thriving modding community for Impossible Creatures, and the Tellurian mod is the most famous mod for the game, and it did exactly that. It added a whole bunch of new animals and a whole bunch of uh, balance fixes, and it didn't add new environments, but it added a robust map maker. Actually, no, no, the map maker came with the actual game. Okay. But there's a robust map maker. So, I, my crisis today was, oh, did they already do everything that I wanted to do? So, but no, I think, I think I thought of some ways to create, I guess, Impossible Creatures 2. Okay. Also, another thing is that I got to a point where I was like, is this just Leviathan as an RTS? Maybe. (laughs) Do I need to call Scott Westerfield? Actually, honestly, we probably could call Scott Westerfield just to, like, put some zhuzh on it. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Scott, you got any ideas? Definitely poach the illustrator for those books. Yes. Um, yeah, I was going to be like, what if this was an RTS that's also an AU of Leviathan where uh, th- it, it does take place during World War II, um, even though he uh, Scott said that World War II probably wouldn't happen in the Leviathan universe. And I think I figured out the main reason for that is that maybe you don't want to have explicit genetic engineering in the same time frame as the eugenicist. Yeah, yeah. And besides, he ended World War One early, so yeah, the politics definitely shake you, out differently. Yeah, ultimately, it's something you don't want to dig too deep into unless you're explicitly telling a story about digging into it. 
Yeah, and we don't have I'm time just... to write out like a whole alternatehistory.net timeline here. Exactly. Um, and this is also a game where like we are not taking it very seriously. Yeah. It is high pulp. Yes. The, the, I mean, the, it's not completely free of politics because one of the villains, Dr. Ganglion, uh, he does declare that he's sided with uh, Upton Julius so that he can protect his beloved American from fascists and also communists. Oh, he's one of those guys. And it's like, sure, Upton Julius has some fascist overtones, but it's mostly because he's a capitalist, first and foremost. Yeah, I I guess, like, the one big bad from uh, Bioshock. Yeah, here's... The, he's not a fascist, he's a war profiteer. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, this this is a high pulp game, and I'm thinking, let's move the setting to the early 60s. Okay. Where we can continue to be high pulp... But it's more James Bondish. A little James Bondy, a little bit Xerust. Okay. Um, a little Adam Punk. Yes, I think Adam Punk is a good place to, a good word, a good term to drop here. Mm-hmm. Um, so some other stuff going on with the first game is that apparently in the backstory for Rex's father, there was like something went wrong and he caused the, the Tunguska explosion. Okay. Dr. Eric Chanikov was one of the brightest scientific minds in history. After a failed experiment causes the Tunguska event and kills his wife, he goes into willing exile at a chain of remote islands. There, he reports the creation of Sigma Technology, a method which makes it possible to fuse two creatures together into a single organism. And these reports are ignored by scientific and mainstream communities. Yeah. So, right now I'm going to say, this is probably something that would be revealed later in the actual game plot, but right now I'm going to say the Tunguska event and the Sigmatech are connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Tunguska, evac- inve- Tunguska event was, in fact, alien technology crash landing on Earth that Chanakov spends the next few years reverse engineering to create the Sigma technology. Yeah. This is actually supported by some of the uh, DLC and fan-created stuff where it does have, like, some alien creatures, like, just generic alien, also Behemoth, which is, like, a nasty big horn b- a bug nasty. Mm-hmm. I think there was another video game that had the Tunguska event is like the inciting incident for uh, a big alien invasion. Oh. Games love doing a Tunguska event. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's kind of like, nobody's fully figured out what it was. It was probably just like a part of a comet that came down yeah. to Earth and then did like a mid-air explosion. And like, it's happening in Russia um, in the middle of Siberia. Like, there's no confirmed deaths. Maybe three people died. <laughs> that sort of area of Russia. <laughs> yeah, and it took a really long time for people to... Again, it was, like, so remote. It took a really long time for for scientists to, like, get out there and, like, actually examine it. See, there was... I think the first expedition... In 1921, the Russian mineral... Mineralogist Leonid Kulik led a team to the Podkamnaya Tunguska River Basin to conduct a survey for the Soviet Academy of Sciences. Although they never visited the Central Blast area, the many local accounts of the event led Kulik to believe that the explosion had been caused by a giant meteorite impact. Upon returning, he persuaded the Soviet government to fund an expedition to the suspected impact zone based on the prospect of salvaging meteorite iron. Um, and yeah, he got to the blast site in 1927. And then there was a lot more exploration of the area in the 60s. 
Yeah. Feeding into your whole, hey, let's set this in the 60s. Well, some of the major expeditions happened in the 60s to the Tunguska, like, crash site or impact site. Okay, yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. So maybe that is something that they have to get up there by a certain point. Yeah. Um, But I think the main kicker off for this is going to be the plot of Impossible Creatures 2. We're, we're in the 60s, um, and we're not really worried about the fallout of World War II necessarily, or any, like, rising social issues, on account of the fact that we've also pulled a Jurassic World, and there's now creatures on the mainland. Yes. <laughs> and the governments don't know what to do with all of these, like, new war profiteers who have all these fucked up little freaks <laughs> raising hell on the mainland. So they track down Rex Chance, who has gone into... He himself also went into exile, along with Lucy Willing, mm-hmm. to try and get a handle on his new creature powers, or something like that. Yeah. And here they will, ve- they will reveal that the reason the creatures have made it to the mainland is because somehow someone has found uh, Upton Julius's notes, mm-hmm. and they finished what he started, which was namely combining Sigma Tech with humans, because Rex was like the super prototype. No one else has successfully combined an animal with a human. And Rex is like thousands of animals in a single human. Yeah. But somehow Upton Julius created, like, he left enough information that someone could successfully successfully create uh, human chimeras. And now they are using their own mental powers to control their own factions of impossible creatures. Okay. Now, going into the James Bond of it, is that... We can, even though it's an RTS, we can add some like espionage stuff into here, uh, by saying, "Oh, why can't the army go in and attack?" And they'll be like, "Oh, well, it's because, thanks to whatever uh, technology they're using to deploy the creatures, they are able to detect any humans that show up." And yeah. the the governments don't have like unmanned drones or anything they can deploy. It's the '60s. So they need someone who can control their own faction of impossible creatures in order to infiltrate and then dismantle these enemy bases. Mm-hmm. And that would be the main plot. Now, I also, I really like the thing where you have to hunt down and, like, obtain the DNA samples yourself in the campaign. Yeah. And I think we can expand on that a little bit by having, like, optional creatures you can grab. Like, one thing I noticed in a lot of people's comments is that the levels are very linear. Yeah. Which makes a little bit of sense. It's an RTS. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if go back to Warcraft, when I played Warcraft 3 as a wee lad, um, there was a lot of side objectives you could complete where you would explore the rest of the map and, like, take down side villains or, like, sometimes there would be stranded units that you could go and meet up with and they would join your forces, stuff like that. So there'd be a lot of a variety of side missions alongside the main mission and all of the Warcraft stuff. And I think that'd be a very easy thing to incorporate into Impossible Creatures, where these side missions would be like, oh, we've discovered a secret cache of DNA. If you go down there, then maybe that can help you out. Or, oh, we've discovered where they've got a panda bear locked up or something. So maybe you should go free it and you'll be able to get DNA from it at the same time, too. Something like that. Yeah. The other thing I want to do, because remember I just said that they can't bring any humans in. Well, fortunately, Rex isn't a full human. Also, I want to use this to get rid of the humans who were uh, grabbing the resources, the human harvesters. Yeah. Because that always seemed weird to me in a game where you could get, like, beavers to do stuff like that. Or moles. Big ol' moles. Combine them into the beaver moles, and they can grab whatever resource you need. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it would make... 
a lot of sense where even though they don't have a traditional tech tree, it would make a lot of sense to have the creatures doing the harvesting for you as well as all the attacking and stuff. Buildings still have to remain buildings if we incorporate buildings. Um, from what I understand, it was mainly just like the main base, the research base, and a variety of defense towers. Yeah. Uh, air chamber, creature chamber, electrical generator, lightning rod, water chamber, workshop, and genetic amplifier. And then defensive were bramble fence and sound beam tower. Oh, because it like disrupts the frequency. Okay. But yeah. And then, I don't know, do we, wanna, do we want to risk bringing in the idea of three-part animal chimeras? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the next logical step, going from let's combine these two little things to create little freaks, to let's combine these three little things to create little freaks. Or maybe bigger yes, freaks. The biggest freaks imaginable. Yeah. <laughs> That would have to be, like, I feel like three is the limit. Especially, like... Yeah. If you if you look at the creation screen from the first one, they very, like, plainly lay out, like, here's the two animals you combine, here's which parts of them overlap, and here's what you can combine and not combine to add new things. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure how the layout for adding three creatures would work, but you're right, it is the natural step. Yeah. Like, that's where we get the game designers to come up with an interface and art as to how this would look sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. I will say also, okay, so like, obviously it's a 20-year-old game. The art would need to be upgraded a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there is a good amount of charm in the low-poly elements of a lot of them. Yeah. And especially um, the it helps ease your mind into seeing them fuse together, even though some of them can look real dopey. Yeah. Like if the if the proportions hit just right, you can get a really tiny head on a really big body. <laughs> you stick a if you stick the head of a spinning cobra on a horse, it is gonna come with a bit of neck, which means proportionally it like it's the same proportions of a horse head, but it's a tiny little spinning cobra head on a big old horse body. <laughs> no, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that being said, the other other hand for that is that, uh, again, if you look at some of the stuff for the Tulurian mod, those graphics are extremely good, and they have actually made models from scratch. Oh. Which is pretty impressive, and they look very smooth. And, of course, to make them jive with the rest of the game, they obviously had to smooth out a lot of the other animals, too. Yeah. So it's like, there's definitely room for graphical improvement. We just, we're not aiming for high photorealism here. No. We want to keep some charm. Exactly. And then, yes, the the other big thing for the story would be going through a variety of environments, like you said. I think we'd have definitely have to go through some city environments. It'd be fun to, like, put this in an urban scenario. Yeah. But also to add in forests and deserts and, like, heavily mountained regions. Plains. Oh, plains, yes. Yeah. Um. I, well, I think, I can't remember if there was, like, plains islands or desert islands. I can't remember which one there was. Because I know one was, like, jungly and one was arctic, ex- like, explicitly. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what was in the middle, though. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, if there wasn't a plains or a savanna, definitely add that in. Um, but the other thing is that, uh, going through TV tropes, it seemed pretty clear that there are certain creatures, because of balancing issues, certain creatures rose above the rest in comparison to other ones. Yeah. And I think a way to balance things out and also really change up what kind of creatures you need to look into for certain environments is, well, well, just that, is to have certain creatures get bonuses or penalties based on the environment. Yeah. Like, 
if you're if you're deploying something that's heavily polar bear in a desert environment, it's gonna suffer. Yeah. <laughs> not not suffer like it's a living creature and it is in pain because also it's like partly a plot point that the animals like kind of disintegrate after they die, so they're not really living organisms. And I think we can like establish the sigma tech is just like some kind of nanotech. And it's like, they're not actually animals that are in pain. They're just using the animals as a blueprint for these bodies. It's fine. Yeah. The animals are fine because there's no actual animals. Yes. It's more like animals, but like you're graphing the animals onto nanotech. Yeah. Something like that. You're, it is lab grown animal meat with a hardware core. Yeah. Um, which is a fucked up thing to say, but we're doing it. In the name of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna get PETA approval. It's a lot of don't worry about it. Babes, there's no way we're getting PETA approval and we don't oh, want God, it. No. Do we even <laughs> want PETA um, approval? We do not want PETA approval. Yeah. That's why I'm like, it's gonna just be a whole lot of don't worry about it. It's very don't worry about it. It's very pulp. But yeah, that is like the one element of realism I want to bring in just because it would like impact the gameplay in, a, in an interesting way by having, you know, the actual environments that the animals are in, like boosting them or penalizing them based on how, how much of animal there's in there. And it would be another factor that would uh, like add into how much you want to mix something in. Like mm -hmm. maybe you really, really need the strength of the polar bear's claws and swing abilities for this map, but it is hidden in the desert. So you have to stick some camel in there. To help them survive. And yes, obviously, if a camel with the face and legs of a polar bear would still get really hot in his face and legs. But... <laughs> Counterpoint. Look at this fucked up thing I made. Yeah. Tr truly do not care about the fact that, like, a scorpion would actively not be good in the water. I put it on a barracuda, so it's fine. I think they're... You've heard the tale of the scorpion and the frog... But have you considered scorpion frogs? I was just thinking that there might be a scorpion that is adopted to the water. But I don't think that can go on land. Hang on, I'm going to Google sea scorpion and give myself nightmares. <laughs> oh, it's extinct. Thank goodness. Okay. No way. Hang on. What the fuck is this thing? Never mind. They're real. <laughs> also, some scorpions can glow in the dark. Uh, I mean, that's a good thing because I can see it. Mm-hmm. I, I woke up Tuesday morning from a terrible spider dream where I was literally being chased around my apartment by a large spider. Ooh. And then I got to work and I told them that and someone was like, oh, it's it's a symbolic of good, it's a good omen when you have a dream about a spider. And I'm like, mm. Really? It was chasing me around, like trying to get onto my head though. Yeah. And then I had another dream where I was trying to tell someone about being told that the spider was a good omen, uh, but then the conversation got cut off when I had to be chased by another spider. <laughs> Oh my god. You know, my worst dreams are when, like, I'm, I guess I'm semi-awake and I think there's a snake in the bed and I react and you know how you sometimes, like, wake up feeling like you're falling? Yeah. Yeah, that's always what happens with those dreams. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our irrational fears. Anyway. Anyway. Um, but yeah, so I think... The environments would be um, a factor in both the campaign and also in multiplayer. Yeah. Um, and also in multiplayer, I think we should add in a game mode where instead of having all the animals unlocked from the start, uh, much like in the campaign, it is a map with like a randomized collection of environments and animals 
mm-hmm. and you have to go around grabbing them. And now this could this could end terribly unless some really good uh, parameters are set for the procedural generation on these maps, where it's like you have to make sure that certain things are balanced for the players if they're like stuck on. <laughs> Different parts of the map. One part of the map is going to have a whole bunch of really strong, powerful creatures. Another part of the map is going to have just really weak creatures. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know much else about games other than, like, I don't know, make appealing characters for the campaign setting and then have some sort of multiplayer battle thing. Yeah, I think multiplayer is an important thing to keep, obviously. And mm-hmm. again, that is where, like, the current uh, Impossible Creatures community, I think there's dozens of them, I'm pretty sure they're not just constantly replaying the campaign. Like, again, it's available on Steam. It is capable of doing multiplayer today. Yeah. So, like, you, they very much continu- can continue to do multiplayer. And I don't know if the modding community is still active, um, because last I checked, the Tularian mod, the 2.9 update, came out in 2021. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's been a lot of stuff happening <laughs> since then, so I don't blame them for not having a lot of development. Yeah. But I do know that one of the people who was involved in it still has an active YouTube channel where he does uh, game replays and commentaries with the other people in the community. So, mm-hmm. like, there is still an active, a small but active community. Yeah. And, oh, uh, the, the other, 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 other thing. Because you mentioned characters. Yeah. And that's another thing I think could make gameplay interesting, or at least the campaign interesting, is having having the human chimeras. Having humans similar to Rex Maybe not the, like, thousands and thousands of animal DNA signatures within them, but humans who have, like, specific forms, maybe they can turn into a nasty beast mode. They are themselves the fucked up little freak. Yeah. You could do some customization and all that. Yeah. Like, there there would be specific ones that would be the bosses at the end of each chapter for the campaign, um, and then there would be ones that you could load out, like... When you're preparing your loadout for each uh, multiplayer game, you can pick you like you pick your animal combos at the start, but you also pick your loadout for your hero character. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, you could customize them, make your OC. This is my Impossible Creatures OC. Yep, they're just like me, except they're really tall and sexy, and uh, they have uh, highly disproportionate kangaroo legs. <laughs> Do not steal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have big lobster claws, but due to a technicality of the mashup rigging system, they're constantly pointed at the sky. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, I think the claws are, like, constantly pointed forwards, no matter the posture of the creature. Yeah. Um, that's all I can think of for, like, broad scope things. Um, the plot would take you to various locales, go start in America, go to some other places around the world for various environments. You, what do you wind up in Tunguska? That's where you find out about the aliens. And then you have to go back to the art, the fictional archipelago in South America where it all began. Yay. And then you have to fight real aliens. <laughs> yep. Hopefully it goes better than uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds like fun. Uh, no, are there any animals you think should be in it? Uh, if they weren't in there already, honey badgers, just really all of the mustelids, the... The various weasels? Um, you know what? Actually, I'm going to check right now. There is a wolverine in the base game. Okay. But that's the closest. So yeah, throwing in honey badger would be fun. Yeah. Should I? Oh, there could be there could be special levels where it's like, okay. So I already mentioned how everything gets scaled up to be about people-sized. Yeah. But there could be special missions where it's specifically like you can only use small animals and they do stay at their small size. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's like, they're in the vents or something like that. Do you have to... A full RTS campaign, but it is taking place in, like, behind someone's air vent or in dumpster. Yeah. Espionage. <laughs> spy squirrel. Okay, so... <laughs> spy squirrel! I love it. Okay, so in the base game and their official expansions... They have Anaconda, Ant, Archerfish, Armadillo, Baboon, Bat, Behemoth, which is a fictional nasty bug, Black Widow, Bombardier Beetle, Bull, Camel, Chameleon, Cheetah, Chimp, Cockroach, Condor, Coyote, Crocodile, Dolphin, Dragonfly, Eagle, Electric Eel, Elephant, Firefly, Garden Spider, Garfish, Giant Anteater, Giraffe, Gorilla, Great Right Shark, Grizzly Bear, Hammerhead, Hercules Beetle, Hippo, Hornet, Horse, Hyena, Kangaroo, Killer Whale, Komodo Dragon, Lemming, Lioness, Lobster. Oh yeah, specifically they have a lioness and not a lion because apparently the mane was a pain to render, which the people making the Tulurian mod found out the hard way when they were trying to make a lion. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Lobster, Moose, Mountain Lion, Muskox, Panther, Piranha, Poison Frog, Polar Bear, Porcupine, Praying Mantis, Ram, Rat, Rattlesnake, Rhino, Scorpion, Shieldbug, Skunk, Snowy Owl, Sperm Whale, Spitting Cobra, Tarantula, Termite, Tiger, Vulture, Walking Stick, Walrus, Warthog, Wasp, Wolf, Wolverine, Woolly Mammoth, and Zebra. And then from the Tellurian mod, they also added Albatross, Alligator, Anglerfish, Beluga, Blue Ringed Octopus, Blue Whale, Bola Spider, Colossal Squid, Cuttlefish, Diamond Python, Gazelle, Giant Pacific Octopus, Giant Squid, Hatchetfish, Hornbill, Humpback Whale, Lammergeier, I don't know what that is, Lion, Malayan Taper, Man of War, Mantis Shrimp, Naked Mole Rat, Narwhal, Oogpister, which apparently is a bug, Ostrich, Pistol Shrimp, Skipper Caterpillar, Snail, Spitting Spider, Tuna, Velvet Worm, and Whale Shark. Oh, a Lammergeier is a bearded vulture. Okay. Um, and also, I have been trying to find footage of them using a man of war, and I haven't been able to, but that sounds fascinating because it's a just it's just a bag. <laughs> it's just a sack of nasty. Yeah. Uh, lovely. Also, the walking stick. The walking stick has camouflage, which is basically just invisibility. Yeah. Which means that if if you stick, you could stick a whole bunch of other parts on the body of the walking stick. But once has the body of a walking stick, it can hide in some sticks and pretend to be invisible, and none of the animals will understand what's happening. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it what it does in nature. So yes, but I feel like if you, there was a giant walking stick with the head of a rhino, you'd be like, "Oh hey, there's the head of a rhino on a walking stick," and not just like, "Hmm, some sticks." Disregard the rhino head. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Or you might think that the rhino is separate from, like, a log. Anyway. Anyway. I think I've gone as far as I can. Like I said, this is honest the shorter side. Mm -hmm. So I guess we will combine... What what two animals combine to make a friendship promo? What are friend-shaped animals? Uh, Like, a red panda and... A seal. Yeah. We're going to combine a red panda and a seal... To make the most roundest, ooh-wooiest creature. And while we do that, we're going to go to a friendship promo. Mm -hmm. Hello, stranger. My name is Ayumi. My pronouns are she and her. And welcome to Sparkleside Chats with Magical Girl Ayu.
In this podcast, I'll be talking with fans and creators of the Magical Girl genre about their favorite series. And if you're wondering what a Magical Girl is, from witches to angels, fairies to androids, helpful and heroic girls and young women have been influencing pop culture for nearly 70 years, and we will try our best to get to all of it to hear how. Led us to... With some stops at... Or... In between. Whether you're a veteran of the genre or someone who has never heard of it before, I hope this podcast can be a place to learn and celebrate every corner of the magical girl world and that we can convince you to love them just as much as we do. We'll start with two episodes on the history of magical girls starting September 1st, followed by one-on-ones about individual series. In the meantime, find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu. That's spelled A-Y-U. And please spread the word and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and have a magical day. All right, we're back, but uh, Lindsay, I messed up. Oh, you did? Yeah, I accidentally made a half-pony, half-monkey monster. Oh, no. Uh, Maybe I'd use too many monkeys. But isn't it enough to know that I ruined a perfectly good pony to try and make a gift for you? (laughs) At least you tried. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Um, Okay, well, let's uh, just throw this thing into the sea and it'll dissolve back into nanobots. Hey, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? Um, I can be found on Twitter at Lindsay A. At Lindsay M four seven six, it's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? It's Lindsay spelled with an M. <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> Anyways, you can find me on Twitter at Sparky Upstart or on Instagram at Sparky Young Upstart. You can also find both of us as the podcast unit on Twitter at N I I R Y F Pod. Those are the letters for Notify Boot You First, except I mashed them together and now they have special powers and also the size of a man. Look at our fuck up little freak of a podcast. <laughs> you can also email us at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com or you can send us your comments critiques criticisms and your ideas for the most freaked up little freak it's also where you could send us a friendship promo be it an audio clip or a proof for us to read either we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or youtube or even your deviant not if i ever bit you first as a member of the corner podcast network and you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our corner podcast discord and as always, our cover art is by Alex Fierce, and her work can be found on ptcheu.com, and our theme music is done by Sean Clake, whose contact info is available upon request. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree, Sotol, and Assiniboine, and homeland of the Métis. Um, yeah, and now this is Tanner from the future, coming in to let you know that the thing we were planning on rebooting next week has been pushed to the following week because we have a guest next week. Uh, and they are going to be telling us about some pretty anime sword boys in space. Uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about that next time, but not if we reboot you first. Bye!